0: Hey there, I'm Everett. I'm Baron. And welcome to Bro Bro Have You You Seen. Seen. How's it going, bro? Hey, bro. What's up? Not much. How you doing? Not too bad. Not too bad. Yeah. How's your week of movies been? It was pretty good. I managed to squeeze a few in here and there, even though I was pretty swamped with schoolwork. Yep, same. Trying trying to catch up on some big projects
1: that are due this week, so. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and we also had a good weekend of watching quite a few movies in a marathon.
0: Yeah, that's so a good one.
1: So we had some good ones fit in there. It kind of accounted for those missing days yeah. since we watched so many in one day.
0: Yeah, I was able to show so. you
1: a bunch that uh,
0: I've seen and liked uh, you haven't quite gotten to. Yeah. Maybe some blind spots. Yeah,
1: I definitely filled some blind spots, some holes that I've been meaning to fill for a while. So Nice. It's been great. Yeah, so this week's film comes from award-winning writer-director Damien Chazelle. Stars Emma Stone as Mia and Ryan Gosling as Sebastian two young artists aspiring to achieve their dreams in the city of stars. Their lives become intertwined through a series of serendipitous encounters. Initially, they don't like each other, but find that they have more in common than they thought. They develop a romance and help each other achieve their dreams. So this week I'm asking you the age old question, bro, have you seen La La Land? Yeah, this is a movie that
0: didn't necessarily hit extremely hard for me at first. But the ending and the music were just stuck in my head for no apparent reason. Couldn't figure out why I just woke up the next morning with this deep desire to listen to the, the soundtrack. And I did on repeat that entire day and uh, pretty much every day since then. Uh, it's never really left my recently listened in uh, Spotify. Mm-hmm. So I, I love the soundtrack and that really helped me to grow my love for the film. I've seen it a few times since then. And uh, I've grown to to love the movie to an immeasurable degree now.
1: Yeah, this film uh, was recommended to me around this time last year, actually, by a good friend. I'd always heard great things, but her perspective as a dancer really piqued my interest. And I it wasn't ever available to stream, so I had to blind buy it at Target for $7.50, a whopping price. But it's been some of the best money I've ever spent. I was super blown away. Well, I, I don't know, maybe I wasn't super blown away the first time. Uh, I might not have fallen in love with it immediately. It kind of took me a second viewing and deep immersion in the soundtrack. Like you said as well, we kind of had a similar experience um, to push me to rewatch it several more times since. And since then, it's grown to be one of my favorite movies probably. Um, I just really love this one. Yeah, and you did show this
0: to me in the first place Mm -hmm. back then, and uh, I'm glad you did. However, some big criticisms that I've heard about the movie are that it tries to be like a musical from the classical Hollywood era without featuring that A-grade singing and dancing that we see a lot of back then. I've heard it said that this is a musical for people who don't like musicals, and that the ending is maybe a bit unexpected. It definitely subverts tropes of the typical Hollywood musical, and I'll admit Gosling and Stone's singing is pretty lackluster. Someone may not like this if they don't like musicals that much.
1: Yeah, although I would argue that this film is deeply rooted in the golden age of Hollywood musicals, that being the 30s, 40s, and 50s, and during the making of this movie, Damien Chazelle questioned, quote, how to take the traditional Hollywood musical, the most artificial genre, and marry it to real life. Use that genre to really say something about how it feels to live life, live everyday life, everyday emotions, heartbreaks, hopes, yearnings, that we all go through.
0: Yeah. That's a good quote. And the biggest thing that stands out to me about this movie are the characters and the themes at play. They have big dreams, and the stylish nature of the production of the film contrasts uh, with the heaviness of Mia and Sebastian's sacrifices on the road to their desires. They both want things, and through their relationship together, they learn what it takes
1: to balance their reality with what they want. Indeed, this film is broken into four main acts winter spring summer and fall including an epilogue and prologue and that's how we break down this episode nice yeah i guess we can head first into that opening number yeah the opening number it's a logistical nightmare it's technically brilliant and it's meant to imitate one long shot but also has some sneaky cuts some sneaky edits in there um chazelle wanted to start the movie with a musical number. Uh, to show that this is a musical and what type of musical it's going to be, he wanted to start it off with a big cannonball blast to really immerse you in what this world's going to be. Yeah, it's it's definitely lush, it's beautiful, it's colorful. Basically,
0: shows the entire color gamut spectrum mm-hmm. um, in that first scene. Uh, everyone's wearing bright, beautiful clothing, and it also has a lot of uh, great diversity, and it establishes the themes of the movie, while not being directly related to the plot itself, but the themes of the movie that I think it starts to set up are the ambition, the drive, the dreams, and the hope of these people living in L.A. at the time. Definitely romanticizes that Hollywood Mm -hmm. culture.
1: Yeah, it's set up in a big cinemascope way of classic Hollywood. starts out with that cinemascope and expands to a more modern widescreen before we begin the music number. But from here on out, uh, this is our first place where we're introduced to our characters, Mia and Sebastian. They're both stuck in traffic, and Sebastian is frustrated by Mia as she's uh, performing her, uh, practicing her lines. And he blares his horn and flies past her, and she flips him off. This begins winter, and we get great character development.
0: Yeah, the first kind of song of this series between the actual characters themselves is... Uh, the Someone in the Crowd, where Mia's roommates are about to go to a party, and the lyrics are really cool because they kind of express this double meaning. Obviously, the roommates are talking about that there's someone in the crowd at this party that might be the one that could discover them, that could recognize their talent, put them in something big, give them their big break, basically. But at the same time, It's vague enough that I think it applies to Mia and her desires, um, which are maybe a little bit different than her roommates, but they're not totally vocalized yet, so we'll get to that later.
1: Yeah, the Someone in the Crowd music number is, again, it's another beautiful music number. It's in their apartment. It's all one take. It's got gorgeous blocking through the apartment of the different characters, and uh, it's very colorful. All the roommates have different colored dresses and, they go to a party, and lots of stuff's going on. Everyone has their own agenda, and it's hectic and crazy, and Mia's kind of trapped. Her her friends are, like, nowhere to be found. It's kind of sad. Like, they totally abandon her. <laughs> she goes into a bathroom and comes back out still feeling isolated, and her car is towed, her phone dies, and she has to walk home in heels with no friends, and this is where she... Finds a club. She hears music playing that draws her attention. She walks in and finds Sebastian playing the piano
0: Yeah, this is a great little moment. She's enamored by his uh, Great musical ability on the piano Mm -hmm. Ryan Gosling actually played the piano for all of the scenes in the movie, which is extremely impressive Especially here. Yeah, Um, I'm not sure if we get uh, the full range of his talent quite yet, but we will soon as he's playing this song She sees him, and he just kind of brushes by her without uh, paying her any mind. And that's when it cuts back, flashback, to when they're stuck in traffic. And we see everything from his point of view, which is really cool because it establishes the equality of these characters. Yeah. It puts them on level ground and shows that they both have their individual stories to tell. It also gives us, you know, both sides of of their story. Sebastian and Mia's theme song is kind of their leitmotif for the movie, and it'll play
1: repeatedly throughout the film as they are developing their romance. Yeah, it plays as our love song through the movie. And uh, like you said, the motif that the rest of the soundtrack is built on, basically, which is amazing. And we'll talk about the soundtrack as we go through the different musical numbers, and that's kind of the high points we'll hit throughout each season. So this is a great place to stop and say, if you have not seen this film, this is only the first season that we've talked about, so no major spoilers that we've talked about so far. Go ahead and watch this and come back, and we're about to dive into the rest of the seasons and get in-depth, so...
0: Yeah. yeah. The way we say seasons makes it sound like a TV show. Yeah. It's not. It's a movie. Uh, but it's Seasons
1: our... based on the year. Yeah. <laughs> spoilers ahead for La La Land. All right, so now we're in spring, and... Mia runs into Sebastian, playing as in a crappy 80s cover band at a party, and she finds this as a way to mock him and get back at him. She requests him to play I Ran by The Flock of Seagulls.
0: Yeah, which is a super simple song to play on the keyboard, so it's a big yeah. slap to the face for a serious musician.
1: Yeah, and afterwards they have an interaction where they kind of roast each other. All right, I remember you. And I'll admit I was a little curt that night. Curt?
0: Okay, I was an asshole. I can admit that. Okay. But requesting Iran from a serious musician is just, it's too far.
1: My lord, did you just say a serious musician? I don't think so. Can I borrow what you're wearing? Why? Because I have an audition next week. I'm playing a serious firefighter.
0: So you're an actress. I thought you looked familiar. Have I seen you in anything?
1: Uh, the coffee shop on the Warner Brothers lot. That's a classic. Oh, I see. Yeah.
0: You're a barista. And I can see how you could then look down on me from all the way up there. Yeah, I love that part. It's great. They're throwing some quick jabs <laughs> back and forth. Um, it, it establishes the comedy of this movie. I find this movie to be incredibly funny. I honestly don't remember it being that funny in the first couple watches of the film. Yeah. But Ryan Gosling's Sebastian is truly hilarious in almost every scene. Uh, there are moments when Emma Stone's Mia is... Keeping up pretty well with the comedy, but her comedic um, strength isn't as verbal as Gosling's is, perhaps. I think she's more of a physical comedian, Mm -hmm. which she does a lot of through her incredible acting chops that were shown
1: in her first audition scene earlier, uh, back in the winter sequence. Once it's over, we get our next musical number, and this is the first one of them together. And it's amazing, it's... The set set against a beautiful L.A. sunset, which is a technical marvel. They could have done this sunset in post, but this scene in particular shows Chazelle's dedication to being genuine. While shooting, they only had two 30-minute windows to do this six-minute-long take. So the actors had to go from the start, do the whole take, then immediately run back to the beginning, get the sweat padded off, and begin again. And they only had a couple times to do this, and it's amazing. They really pulled it off, and their acting and ability to dance. I mean, maybe they're not the best dancers, and that's kind of what we talked about earlier. Maybe some at times it's not as top-notch as older musicals would have been, where they were considered triple threats and could sing, act, and dance, mm-hmm. where Sebastian and Mia, Ryan Gosling, and Emma Stone here are traditionally actors, but they do a really great job with the dance number, and here is like one of the most impressive examples of that.
0: Yeah, he's no Gene Kelly, but I think he pulls yeah. it off. I actually really liked his dancing in this number in particular. Yeah. I thought he... He had that Ryan Gosling swagger that he tends to have in most of his movies, but he brought it to the dancing in, in quite a enjoyable way for me. Exactly. And one of the things that I think this movie does a little bit in the in the focus of a typical musical um, is that like usually what they'll do is when the emotions of the characters are too great for them to continue speaking, they start singing, mm-hmm. and when the emotions become too great to sing, they dance, and this this number in particular you know they start by talking and they start singing and then they start dancing and and it works quite well in that format um, that we see in a lot of musicals even like the disney animated films of the 90s and all those where you know that you have those musical numbers built into the script it's a pretty great moment in this movie too
1: yeah it's definitely a very natural and organic progression and it just feels so good I'm just so amazed that they did that in one take. I think it works very well. They do a lot of one takes, uh, long takes throughout the movie, and that also kind of replicates older musicals that they would do that as well.
0: Yeah, I agree. As we move forward from here, they start basically growing more and more attracted to each other. That number that we just mentioned was definitely them denying their their mm-hmm. attraction toward each other. Uh, As we get a funny little bit at the end of that where Mia finds her car and Sebastian walks right back from where they came right in front of the house. they were at the party Um, It just shows that he walked all the way up there for basically no reason except to be with her so I liked that moment and as these Moments keep continuing um, Their their love kind of grows at first. He's a little bit coy Uh, He shows up at the coffee shop on the warner brothers a lot where she works and he invites her to basically walk around for a few minutes they discuss their past her love of movies why she always wanted to be an actress
1: and he brings up jazz yeah and he says that uh people don't understand jazz she says here's one thing you gotta know i don't like jazz and he said what do you mean you don't have context you don't understand." Uh, And then he takes her, he says, what are you doing right now? And he takes her to a jazz club where he explains the context. He explains, you have to see it. You have to, it's a visual, almost a visual type of music. And she says that people put on the background and that kind of comes into play later. And also this moment at the club is where uh, I think Chazelle shows some of his ideas as well as a few themes. And I think the big one here is conflict and compromise as well as some others.
0: Yeah, he. this scene definitely feels like Giselle telling the audience that jazz is important and why it's important when he's kind of speaking through the, the mouth of Seb at the moment. Mm-hmm. He says a line that I really enjoy when he's talking about LA and how they're kind of just letting jazz die. He says, they worship everything and they value nothing. It's quite an interesting indictment of L.A. and Hollywood culture when the rest of the movie is really celebrating it. Um, I like the idea that a movie presents both sides of an argument. Uh, I think that shows a clear, kind of level-headed, open-minded approach to the way that Chazelle approaches his uh, themes here. Um, While they're kind of worshipping and praising that L.A. culture, um, there's, there's some drawbacks to it, you know? They... They're giving up on the old arts in search of something new and something fresh when maybe these old arts are also valuable. So that's a a big thing that I liked in the movie, um, how it kind of shows that both sides of that argument.
1: Yeah. And through these scenes, me and Sebastian both share their passions with each other and their dreams, what they want to accomplish. Uh, Sebastian wants to open a club and he wants to save Jazz because like we said, it's well, like he said it's dying and he wants to save it and mia presents herself tells him that she's an actress but he says no you're more than that you're a child playwright prodigy like yeah. he, he kind of they both encourage each other of what their dreams are and that's uh, very important and that's kind of the first time we see this yeah and he invites her to go see rebel without a cause
0: with him the reality research. Theater, for research purposes <clears throat> air quotes uh, it's definitely just his excuse to spend more time with her even though she does have a boyfriend and those plans get in the way of her going to this movie with him but they end up going together.
1: Um, at least she shows up later. But uh, Yeah, yeah. as they're leaving the Jazz Club uh, we see one of Chazelle's many uses of wide shots and I think they're used very effectively and kind of sparsely throughout the movie but in this situation uh, especially uh, to show isolation. The moment me and Sebastian walk out the first day the jazz club the wide shot of them walking in opposite directions missing each other's glances backwards i think those few seconds might just sum up their relationship of kind of barely just missing each other
0: yeah it's definitely a theme that gets carried through and one of my favorite moments in the film is he is walking along a pier and he starts singing this is the city of stars which is another common song throughout the movie he and Mia will sing it together later. But this is the first time that Sebastian really vocalizes his desires and his fears. He is worried that this relationship with Mia might just be another one of those dreams that he can't make come true. We see that he really cares about Mia, mm. uh, that he wants to be with her. And though and though she is kind of like with someone and they both have these things going on, that he wants um,
1: that city of stars to be shining for him today. Mm. So. Yeah, they're supposed to have that date at the theater and Mia had a surprise date with Greg, her boyfriend she's been going out with for about a month or so, and she's at dinner and super uninterested. She runs she leaves and runs all the way to the theater to find <laughs> Sebastian there. Yeah. The film ends up breaking, but they end up going to the observatory or planetarium. This is where we have our next big musical number and yeah. yeah. Such a beautiful
0: sequence. They're dancing to some Brilliant orchestral mm. music by Justin Hurwitz. The music, if we haven't said it enough, yeah. is brilliant in this film, and this is one of the sequences that really stands out to me musically. And they they start dancing around, and it's funny because in an earlier song, she they're singing about how um, someone in the crowd. Basically, it could be the one to lift you off the ground, kind of talking about, mm-hmm. you know, being discovered, reaching fame and stardom. But here in the planetarium, Sebastian literally lifts Mia off the ground in this sort of abstract uh, dreamlike Dreamy, fantasy yeah. sequence where they're,
1: they're floating around in the stars dancing together. Yeah, it's absolutely gorgeous. I like pretty much teared up during that scene. It's so moving. Uh, just them dancing in that sil- they're silhouetted against the stars it's just amazing and they end up falling down from the from the sky and they sit perfectly in the chairs they actually did that scene in reverse so that they could fall just how they want how damien wanted them to sit and then they finally kiss because they almost kissed at the theater but then that's when the movie broke so it's good payoff from then and this ends spring and begins summer and this is where uh, springs kind of been where their relationship has been starting to bloom and now summer is where it's in full effect full swing and yeah only kind of lasts for a little bit
0: yeah the there's a lot going on here it's kind of a big montage this is probably my favorite song of the whole movie mm. that summer interlude it is just a jazz scored song there's no lyrics to it at all but it it's very upbeat it's happy this is easily the happiest part of the movie yeah Uh, like you said their relationship is in full effect um mia is working on her play that she's written um, and they obviously they're dating and the the next little bit also features like my favorite moment of the film is they end up in this jazz club jazz club called the lighthouse where sebastian is playing away on his piano with the big band and uh it keeps cutting back and forth with this whip cut where between him playing the piano and then Mia dancing in the dance floor. And it goes back and forth like three or four times. And I don't know, just something about like the way she's dancing and like the uh, the music as well. Just, it, it really gets me. Um, just, uh, yeah, it's a great uh, happy moment.
1: Yeah, I actually really liked this moment as well. And since I've been working on watching John Luc Godard's movies, French New Wave stuff, this film, uh, this moment, I think, is pretty much inspired by him uh, in A Woman is a Woman from 1963. He uses that, uh, the effect, the camera effect of showing one character and then whipping to the other one as they do different things. And that moment, I, like when I saw this, I was like, wow, this is like, I'm pretty sure this is directly inspired. And I, I was super pumped. I love that moment as well.
0: Yeah, I feel like every director nowadays <laughs> is influenced by Godard and, you know, yeah. Truffaut and Kurosawa and all those old
1: 60s yeah, directors, totally. you know. It's awesome. But uh... yeah, uh, we go through the summer. Me and Sebastian are living together. Uh, Keith, played by John Legend, shows up at the club one time, or at the the Lighthouse. Mm -hmm. And he's an old friend looking for keys for his new band endeavor. But Sebastian declines. Uh, Me and Sebastian continue their relationship. Mia performs her play for Sebastian, and they work on ideas for his club. They're mutually supporting each other. With their dreams and aspirations and Sebastian ends up taking Keith's deal and it's after he hears Mia talk on the phone with her parents and her parents are kind of concerned about when is Sebastian going to open this club like how much money does he have and she's like oh he's saving up and I think that's the moment he's sitting there and he just kind of seems like he realizes this is he needs to sign with Keith as a way to get to his dream maybe something he doesn't want to do Cause he's had bad history with him in the past, but something, a step he has to take in that direction.
0: Yeah, you can definitely feel how much he loves Mia in this scene because he's <clears throat> just listening to her. Um, she sounds like she's trying to be positive about everything, but mm. I think he can tell that things aren't ideal at the moment. And he has an opportunity to basically push her closer to her dreams. Even though it means sacrificing his own, I think he sees Keith as kind of yeah. a lesser musician because he doesn't practice true jazz the way that Seb would see it. Uh, but he ends up signing on the dotted line and selling his soul. I think he knows uh, what he's doing in this moment, but you know he ends up taking the deal, joining the band, and uh, he's about to go
1: on tour. Yeah, this is where we get our our next big musical number. This is our big um, summer musical number. This is the City of Stars. This is with Mia and Sebastian. And it's intercut with a montage of Sebastian signing, like you said. Mia's quitting her menial coffee shop job, and she secures a theater for her show, uh, for her play. And he, the band that Sebastian's in is doing interviews, and things are going on, and he's returning late. His, it's taking him in this other direction. And that's kind of concerning Mia as he puts on the show just at the end of summer. Uh, she's unsure that this is what Seb really wanted, and she's sucked back into the crowd. Yeah, and jumping back just a second to that City of Stars
0: reprise number that they do, um, yeah. they they sing this together in their apartment, this is when you know their relationship is kind of at its peak, and this song kind of represents their oneness, their unity as a couple at this time. They're both working hard to achieve their goals, they're both supporting each other, and everything seems to be going really great. Um, and it seems like the city of stars is about to shine just for them. Um, they also kind of discuss their deepest desires to be loved, which is the first time that Mia actually vocalizes this earlier in the film. when you know, it's talking mm-hmm. about someone in the crowd could be the one you need to know. Um, I think deep down she was looking for someone to love her and someone that she could love and to support each other. Because, I don't know... I think she, she cares a lot about her career and her ambition and drive, but I think that's the one thing that she says everybody wants is love. So
1: I think this is, this is that first time we really get to hear that from them. That's true. It's very important. Um, and yeah, like I said, we, we move on to the, to the end of summer as Sebastian's performing in this band and it's not really maybe what Mia wanted for him and maybe what he doesn't, Maybe he doesn't want it for himself, but as we said, it's kind of his step in this direction. But he's returning late, and he's been going on tour. It just kind of seems like this is kind of the downward spiral, and this is when we get into fall. Uh, Me and Sebastian haven't been talking much. He's been on tour a lot, but he surprises Mia at the apartment, and they have dinner, and this is a very key, integral scene. Well,
0: whatever, all right? I mean, it is, it's just, it's time to grow up, you know? I have a steady job, this is what I'm doing, and now all of a sudden if you had these problems, I wish you would have said them earlier before I signed on the goddamn dotted line. I'm pointing
1: out that you had a dream, that you followed, that you were sticking to. This is the dream!
0: This is the dream! This
1: is not your dream! Guys like me work
0: their whole lives to be in something that's successful, that people like, you know? I mean, I'm finally in something that that, 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 that people enjoy. Since
1: when do you care about being liked? Why do you care so much about being liked? You're an
0: actress. What are you talking about? <sighs> yeah, I really like all the stuff that's going on in the scene. There's jazz playing in the background, which is something that Mia said earlier about how people just turn it on during dinners and yeah. just talk over it. Um, so it's kind of... Um, maybe foreshadowing and suggesting that their relationship is taking a backwards step. And as well as that discussion they had earlier about compromise and how Mm -hmm. jazz musicians have to give each other space to grow and to play their own little tunes at the same, in the same way Mia and Sebastian both have to maybe give each other a little breathing room. However, at this time they're taking some low blows at each other, some shots below the belt and, yeah, you noticed a couple of things in this scene that I thought were interesting.
1: Right, so I, I really love this scene. It's it's great, but it's also tragic. It, it's kind of hard to watch the them spiral out and be so rude to each other. I mean, I really wanted them to end up together, but ultimately it just doesn't quite work out. And their purpose for each other was to help them achieve their dreams, and uh, they're kind of stepping stones in that right direction. Um. Some things I noticed about this scene were at the end of the conversation when... Uh, he mentions uh, the a- he says actress, uh, you would know you're an actress. Mm-hmm. Uh, it cuts to the record player, and that's when the the record's at the end of its track, and that's kind of similar to how their relationship is maybe at the end of its run, and ties in you know the elements of jazz of conflict and compromise. Now that's kind of over. They didn't com they didn't compromise during the conflict, and then the smoke alarm goes off. His food in the oven was burning, and it switches to handheld camera, which I think kind of. Uh, reinforces his like confusion and kind of shock after this because I mean once you get in an argument afterwards you kind of are a little bit of shock and kind of need to wind down and it's kind of interesting how the camera helps play into that and then Mia leaves and yeah it's it's sad it's
0: like you said tragic I mean um, their relationship is in shambles because neither one of them could really truly communicate with each other Mm -hmm. uh it's typical of a movie or a tv show where the characters could avoid a lot of problems if they just talk to each other (laughs) but at the same time i mean they have their own um, paths that they need to take and this relationship was very important for both of them to take those first steps in achieving their goals i don't think mia would have written a play ever had she not met sebastian who encouraged her told her that she was a prodigy playwright and as well I mean, Sebastian maybe had to take this step into this successful band so that he could learn that that's really not what he wants to do. I think he was having a good time at that concert, but I think deep down, Mia was right that he he doesn't really care about what other people think, or he doesn't really care about um, necessarily making lots of money, but... He wants to make true jazz. He wants to open up his own club like he always wanted. He wants to save it. And she maybe delivers that news in a little bit of a harsh way, but he needed to hear it. And so at the end of the day, I think this breakup scene um, is probably for the best. Um, Obviously, there's still more time to go in the movie. So my first viewing, I was unsure whether they might get back together at the end. Typically happens in this kind of film. So... That's uh, to be determined, I guess. Yeah, I might have accidentally spoiled that already.
1: It's More fine. We, we mentioned
0: spoilers at the beginning. That's, a, so that that's true. Fun. That's true. Most people
1: listening. Hopefully, everyone <laughs> has seen the movie before. Well, yeah, we did warn them. So, <laughs> so from here, uh, Mia has her her play, her performance. This is a big deal. Uh, Sebastian, even though they've kind of this breakup, he still really wants to be there, and is disappointed when he learns he has a photo shoot for this, for this, uh, for his band. And that, I think that's interesting because at this point, maybe he's, he's kind of realized, yeah, this is, I mean, he already knew it, but this isn't really what I wanted to do. And he, in that scene, he just seems really like distraught and upset with what he's doing, kind of just not interested as much anymore, but he has to go to this photo shoot and it's pretty rough. Uh, He misses Mia's performance, which not a lot of people went to. And even afterwards, like like stagehands and stuff were talking bad about her saying that you shouldn't quit your day job. And she was awful. And is is hard to watch that as well but he meets her at the theater she's leaving and she says it's over and she doesn't have enough money to pay back the theater and she has to go home for a while and he says this is home she's like no it's not anymore she's leaving this is where we get another one of those great wide shots of sebastian outside the theater he's isolated and it really shows you know what he's feeling as well
0: yeah um their relationship is officially over yeah. and she's basically given up on her dreams at this point she, she's basically had it with LA she's going to move back to Nevada maybe go back to school, become a lawyer or something else whatever her other calling might be maybe deep down she doesn't truly believe it but she's just really upset she had a hard, mm-hmm. hard day and uh, it's time to maybe reassess some things but he's pretty dejected after this He's like laying in bed and he gets a phone call asking for Mia. He's like, she's not here. She's not going to be back. I'm not going to talk to her again. But turns out it's a lady from a casting agency who saw Mia's play and was really impressed and wanted to give her an audition for a movie they're working on.
1: Yeah, he he uh, leaves, goes to Boulder, finds her and he finds her house because earlier she mentioned that it was by the library and that's where she would get movies so it's kind of clever how he found, found where she lived just based on a little bit of information. Which is like, maybe, what did what she moved between then? Like, that was her childhood home, so maybe that was kind of, kind of strange. It was worth a shot. <laughs> hey, yeah. He blares his horn again, like he's done multiple times uh, at the beginning of the film, when he's mad at her, and then when he picks her up at the beginning of the summer, and now again, she's very surprised that he's here, and kind of angry, but <laughs> uh, they have a great conversation, which shows more of their... They're, they're, they're dealing with their passions and what, their dreams. Yeah. And this scene is very funny, too. Uh, he basically,
0: upon hearing that she's not going to go to this audition, he just all of a sudden shouts, What? <laughs> really loud. But in the next morning, he ends up picking her up. He thought that she wasn't going to show up, but she actually yeah. went to get <laughs> coffee first. So she's there. He only waited for like five seconds, then he <laughs> started trying to leave. <laughs> yeah. But she goes to the audition, Um, This is probably the biggest turning point for Mia's character. Uh, She already put herself out there for her play, but this time she's really going all out uh, on this audition. Turns out that these people are actually building the script and the movie around the actress. Mm -hmm. So they want to see if she's the right fit for them, and they just ask her to tell a story. And the story kind of becomes a song like like what i said earlier about the emotions being too great for just speaking i think they decided to put in a musical number here not only to show um the brilliant acting that emma stone can pull off but also you know giving the character this grand shining moment to finally realize um that all that heartache and suffering and trouble was worth it in the end
1: yeah a few interesting things to note here are Mia's clothing Uh, through the through the duration of the movie it started out very bright and bold she got bright colors and that also kind of has to do with the seasons but now at the end of the movie she's kind of grown up maybe yeah grown up a little as she said and now her her colors are more toned down and it's very very interesting as well as the lighting choices Um, they do this multiple times throughout but here it really shines (laughs) and uh, it turns to like uh, key lighting or something and it fades Fades away all the lights, focuses just on her, and they do that when Sebastian's performing, when she's rehearsing, when she looks in the mirror multiple times, and here is like a great moment of that, Uh, another technical aspect of the film that uh, really just shows Chazelle's brilliance and his DP, uh, Linus Sandgren. So
0: yeah, it's quite the theatrical moment. Uh, This would be something that you might see on stage, Mm -hmm. or again, one of those old Hollywood musicals. Yeah. So great choice by the cinematographer, there. I like the line in her song, talking about her aunt, but I think it relates to herself as well. She said that when her aunt jumped in that river, she was cold and everything, but she said she would do it again. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the revelation that Mia has in this moment that, yeah, it was hard. She got rejected and made fun of, and it was bad, and everything basically was horrible, but I think she would do it again. Um, if she had it to do over again, I think she would go for it. Um, and I think she's grateful to have had Sebastian all this time to kind of be with her and encourage
1: her, which was great. Um, yeah. Yeah, right before... This is right at the end of the fall, and they're having a conversation. This is like kind of the last conversation they have. And he said... They, they, still, they tell each other they'll always love each other, and Sebastian supports and roots for Mia and tells her she'll get the part. And he says, I know these things. He's still rooting her on no matter what, and they'll mm. always love each other, Yeah, uh, which is still very sweet, even maybe if they don't end up together. They've still had this very important relationship to each other's careers and aspirations. Yeah. And that's when we get into winter, and this jumps ahead five years mm. to Mia being a star. Kind of, some roles have reversed. When she was working in the coffee shop, some stars would come in, but now she's the one coming in, and she, uh, they offer to keep the coffee on the house? And she says, no, I insist. Yeah. And she gives a nice tip, and yeah, it's great. <laughs> For sure. And this is another moment where we get a clever little
0: surprise. Um, I think you called it, what, situational irony? Yeah. I think where in the in the movie they do some clever visual tricks where it sets up something that turns out to be different than what you expected, and it's kind of a funny... Um, I th- I think the first moment in the film is that opening song number where they're all dancing and it's hot outside and even the radio said that it was hot outside but then the big word winter slaps on the screen so it's kind of shocking that you wouldn't expect it to be winter even though it's hot outside and then another moment that they do it was when Mia is talking on the phone in her car right after that opening Mm -hmm. number and then she looks down and grabs a script that she's reading from she wasn't actually talking on the phone she was rehearsing her lines yeah. they do that a few times and here was probably the most shocking and the first time i saw it the most disappointing moment of the movie where she comes home and it's decorated and there's flowers because she probably had the premiere recently or whatever for her movie and she says hey how was your day talking to
1: her husband and psych it's not sebastian yeah yeah kind of disappointing but maybe we saw it coming i don't think i did the first time it's kind of a shock and mm-hmm. yeah like you said they do it a lot through the movie it's it's very well done in this especially and she has a kid and she has a successful life she's made it big like she's always wanted to and yeah uh her and her husband go out for a night and they were gonna go to dinner and they decide to pull off the highway early and they get dinner and then on their way out uh, back to their car uh busy club catches their attention and they go in and she realizes it's Seb's and it has the sign and that was a good callback to earlier he ended up choosing the name that she wanted instead of chicken on a stick yeah which is very sweet and yeah i love this scene is fantastic it r- wraps up the movie uh he says he notices her and he just says welcome to Seb's." and then he sits down and he plays me and sebastian's theme. Yeah. like we've said it's our love song of the movie and yeah. it's excellent It's quite a beautiful
0: moment in the film, but it took me a couple watches to really come to grips with it. I think the first time I saw it, I was shocked and appalled and disappointed that they chose to go this way with the movie um, where Mia and Sebastian don't actually end up together. Um, And she has this big fantasy scene where she imagines what it would have been like had they stuck together. Um, You see how her play was super successful, and he says no to keith and mm-hmm. he opens up a club and they're all happy they have a kid and all that and everything's great they're dancing great big old musical number that features the theme songs and different motifs from yeah. uh, various numbers throughout the film but uh then it all comes back to reality and he's just playing that song and she she looks at him i think i have a couple theories on this but i wanted to get your thoughts first about what that fantasy sequence really means and what's going on at the end of this movie
1: yeah i i don't know i can't really remember exactly how i felt after it but probably similar to you i was kind of surprised um what i'd heard about this before is the ending and how uh my friend didn't really like the ending she was kind of upset that it didn't end super happy like traditional musicals or romance movies but uh after watching this several times i do really appreciate the way that this went and like we stated before it subverts Classical genre tropes and I found that to be really interesting. I'm kind of glad that it doesn't end perfectly in a way But that scene is very excellent. I love how it cuts to like footage of their family with a kid and uh, yeah, like the different things that they would have done differently Where he comes to her show this time he could make it and he yeah, he's not with Keith and stuff. Uh, I love all of that And yeah, it's very interesting. So, what were you gonna say what What are your thoughts?
0: Yeah, um <clears throat> I have two separate theories on this. So the first times I watched it, my prevailing theory was that um she realizes that it would have been the same had she and Seb been together, things would have turned out the exact same. She would have been sitting in that club with him, happy and you know watching some good music, but then um. This time, I thought about it a little bit differently, where maybe I realized that it's possible that all of this is complete fantasy. I mean, there's Mm. no possible way that she would have sold out her opening play if it wasn't that good, you know? People didn't really like it. Um, Maybe if she had had the full support of Sebastian, it could have turned out differently. But I think um, it's meant to show that this never would have worked out. You know, she, it's good to maybe imagine what it could have been like, you know, some wishful thinking in there. Right. But I think she realizes that, you know, they had their time in the sun and it's uh, it's time to move on, which maybe uh, Sebastian might not like so much as his feelings toward jazz are the exact opposite. You, know, yeah. you can't let it die. Um, but their relationship kind of is let to die. And I think that's maybe for the best at the end. Uh, and I think Mia realizes it. She says to her husband, "I think we should go." And they take yeah. off, and that's about the end of the movie.
1: Yeah, we we get uh, a last glance between me and Sebastian, which I think shows kind of that they're content with where they are, and you know the things that have happened were for the better, and they were meant to be. It's kind of how it was supposed to play out, and uh, their different directions were influenced by each other but they were at the, in the end they were able to both achieve their dreams and that's basically what the movie is about more than just their relationship. Exactly. Their relationship
0: was maybe a little bit of a a springboard for them achieving their goals, but it it wasn't the end all be all of their lives yeah. and their ambitions. And so while it was great while it lasted.
1: Yeah. Um
0: it uh it wasn't meant to be and that's fine. I mean, I think most of the film is going to show that Despite anything that may have happened, whatever ended up was meant to be. And I think they're both satisfied and content with what happened. Yeah, so. exactly. Couldn't have said it better
1: myself. Cool. Phew. Awesome. That's good. I, I, I like this movie a lot. Thank I you for recommending movie. me this. Yeah, you're welcome. Yes, I love this movie. So good. My heart aches every time I watch it, though. It's <laughs> It's hard. It's hard to watch, but it's good. And in the end, it's, it's really worth it. But I see where people maybe draw criticisms from this. Uh, if they're looking for a movie that ends very happily and traditionally, but and maybe not looking for something that's a little bit different of a story. But I think if you can look past that, those things, I think it's a really great movie and it benefits like any movie really from rewatches. There's lots of details and, and more themes to pick up on as you go through. So yeah. And I excellent.
0: think one last final point, just because my overall thoughts on it, I think um, if it's looked at through the lens of those old, Mm. Musicals, I think it doesn't quite hold up as well. There are some things that obviously it falls short at, but I don't think Damien Chazelle was really trying to recreate those old musicals, but I think yeah. he was just trying to pay tribute, pay Definitely. homage to it. And I think he did a great job. Um, there's a lot of beautiful music. There's some pretty good dancing. Um, I mean, Mia and Sebastian aren't the only ones who dance. There are professionals um, mm-hmm. working doing uh, some chorus ensemble-type dances. And it tells a great sort of love story. Um, despite maybe how it ends, I think it works really well as an homage to the great uh, musicals
1: of you know the MGM and all those mm. days. So, Yep. <clears throat> Sweet. All right, bro. Cool. I guess we'll move on to our final segment of Bro, what has been entertaining you this week? Yeah. Do you want me to go first?
0: Sure. Cool. You know, I'm a big movie guy. What? I will say that. <laughs> yeah, surprise. Dude, what? like movies, but I also, uh, every once in a while, I like to be entertained by other forms of media. And this week, uh, what's really been entertaining me, I started reading a book. Ooh. Yeah, decided to get edumacated. <laughs> decided to read a book, and it's a little under-known book called 1984 mm, i've never heard of it yeah I bet who's it no, by again? i bet some, nobody
1: has orson guy i don't know yeah
0: george orwell some random or, george no I'm, i don't know somewhere all joking aside i mean <laughs> this is a classic book it's super well known yeah. one of the best satires of government ever written and it's honestly really enjoyable um you got a main character guy who's living in this i don't know Dystopian type future where the government has complete totalitarian control over the citizens. There's even such thing as a thought crime, where wow. you can't even you can't even have ideas that are contrary to the party and Big Brother. Both air quotes. Those are mm-hmm. those are capitalized names in the book. But it's really interesting because uh, this main character he starts having thoughts mm-hmm. that are different. And it's uh, he knows the danger of what he's trying to do, but I think uh, he thinks it's worth it. Um, and so it's a really interesting sort of narrative. I'm only like seventy five pages in out of about three hundred, nice. so I'm working there, getting slowly, but it's quite interesting, and I've been very entertained by it this week. Nice. What about you?
1: Yeah, I've uh, I've read Animal Farm, of course, and I really love that, and so I've always been wanting to read Nineteen Eighty Four. So mm-hmm. maybe I'll have to check that out now. Cool. Uh yeah, so we had that big marathon over the weekend We watched quite a few movies. Um maybe the one that stood out to me the most was There Will Be Blood by Paul Thomas Anderson. It was my nice. first PTA movie and I really liked it. Um follows um Daniel Plainview. Plainview? Yeah. He's an oil man, at least he calls himself an oil man, and it's kind of his his journey into madness almost. Um very interesting movie. Um, yeah, I don't have a lot to say about it. I definitely need to rewatch it as I've come to learn more things about it. But I was very drawn by it initially and blown away after it was over.
0: Yeah, I love I this movie. One. I showed it to you. It's possible we might do an episode about it later yeah. on. It's very, very well known. It's excellent. Especially among those cinephile people out there. Um, it's great. Uh, Daniel Day-Lewis kills it, but yeah. I think Paul Dano is my favorite part. I think.
1: Yeah, I didn't know about that. I he, liked
0: his performance, but... He's so good. I don't know.
1: He's very over the top. Uh, yeah,
0: he's a little overactive maybe, but I think it really works for the character and the mood. The mood is very offbeat, and uh, mm. you get this eerie vibe the whole time, yeah. which is perfectly um, foreshadowed in that opening shot of the hillsides of you know California or wherever he is, and that Johnny Greenwood score just it's coming insane. in, just
1: blaring in your ears. So great film. That was excellent. And I actually, quick mention, I watched An American in Paris, actually. This is a classic musical cool. from the Golden Age, uh, 1951, Gene Kelly. Uh, I really liked it, but I think I still like La Land more <laughs> than these old ones. Um, but it was very cool to see where La where La Land got its inspiration. And I'm excited to check out more, and I'm excited to check out more 50s movies in prep for our list at the end of the month.
0: Yeah, I wanted to mention that at the beginning of the episode, but I guess we can do it now. And we have a very interesting month coming up. It's yeah. the first week of March, so uh, we're heading into a new month, and we, we wanted to maybe schedule out the next few episodes so that we were prepared, as well as uh, whoever may be listening, that uh, if y'all want to get prepared by watching the movies that we will be talking about in the future, that would be awesome. So this week, obviously, the first week of the month, we're going to talk about sort of a modern film, a more mm-hmm. mainstream film, something that... Mm, 2020 audiences will be more accustomed to watching uh, or inclined to checking out. Um, But also, next week, we're going to be talking about something from the Criterion Collection, something we've talked about before in the past, and we wanted to start kind of delving into those films because they are so great. Captures world cinema as a whole, and uh, we, we won't necessarily be doing a foreign film every week or every second week of the month, but something from the Criterion Collection. So it might be a modern classic or an older classic, but we wanted to highlight um, one film from that collection every month. Then the third week of every month, we're going to be doing a project, sort of a yeah. deep dive, if you will. And this series of months for the next several will be our Pixar project. Yep, We're going to be starting at the beginning. We're going to watch Toy Story, and we're going to be moving forward from... To Bug's Life, Toy Story 2, and Onward. Um, oh, onward. That's yeah, coming out soon. <laughs> not Onward. Onward will be the last one we'll do, probably. Uh, yeah, no, but Beyond. We'll say Beyond oh, that's go. what Buzz would say. Yep. Yeah, we're going to be working on the Pixar project. That'll take us several months. Who knows? Maybe a year. Maybe a year. I don't <laughs> even know how many Pixar movies yeah, I there counted. are. have counted. There's probably more than 12 at this point. Yeah. But that'll be interesting for us to do. And then, of course, as we've been doing the last week of the month, we'll be doing a top 10 list of some kind. Uh, so stay tuned for all of those coming down the pipeline for you. Hopefully we have some good content coming down.
1: Yeah, so next week we're watching Harold and Maude, and this is directed by Hal Ashby. It's a 1971 picture, and this is one that you've been recommending me for a long time, so I'm glad to finally get around to it mm-hmm. for an episode. And like you said, it's in the Criterion Collection, something that we love dearly and have been wanting to highlight more in our show, kind of uh, spend more time equal time of stuff that maybe people have heard of and other stuff to introduce people to
0: yeah
1: and then the last bonus week like you said we're gonna have a list and that's gonna be five from the 50s or maybe top 10 from the 50s something along those lines so something along the lines of 50s so i have a big list of ones i want to watch by then because to fill some holes and things i've been meaning to watch it's a good excuse so you know if you've seen some 50s movies maybe not maybe you can get some recommendations or some ones you may haven't seen so
0: yeah it's gonna be good Yeah, this is a recommend-based show uh, where we each sort of take turns recommending each other films. And so we kind of want to start recommending them not only to each other, but to any audience members who might be listening. Um, I know Harold and Maude is pretty well known among most film circles, but I think a lot of modern audiences may not know about it. It's very weird. It's very fun.
1: Very weird It's strange. I mean... (laughs) I don't want to give too much yeah, away, you've told, but... you've told me not to read anything about it, so I don't know anything about it. Yeah, I'm, going I'm, cold. I'm
0: typically going cold to a go-in-cold-to-a-movie As well. guy. But Harold and Maude's great. Hal Ashby is a great director. He's one of those 70s American, um, American New Wave, if you will, directors. Nice. Uh, along with, you know, Altman and Scorsese and Coppola and all those guys. But uh, very excited to talk about that with you and yeah. get your thoughts so totally if anyone wants to watch harold and mod before we do that next week they are more than welcome to check it out i'm sure you can rent it on youtube or amazon prime it might be available to stream on the criterion channel if anyone has that yeah but if not um just stay get tuned it, for our thoughts and
1: maybe you'll be interested in checking it out in the future so yep um, uh, leave, leave a review and a 5 star rating on iTunes, Spotify we're we're working on setting up some sort of email system so we can get some feedback and maybe some recommendations from you guys as well yeah. the films we should check out uh, maybe we won't include them in the show maybe we'll have a section where we talk about those because the show is definitely based on each other's recommendations but yeah we'd be we'd love to hear from you guys we'll try and get that set up soon but for now leave a review and tell your friends yeah <laughs> uh, 5 star review definitely helps Yes yeah. to reach the new
0: listeners and grow yep. the show. So, awesome. Cool. Cool, bro. See you later, bro. Peace
1: out.